want to welcome you to the new series that we're doing is Unshakable Journey. And this is part two. We were going to do part two last week, but there was a storm. And I said to the household at home last week, I hear there's winter coming again on Sunday, some snow. I'm not counseling. I'm not shutting down the doors. I'm going forward. I don't know about you, but I was really hungry to be here today. Amen? And it's just not the same. Now, we know that we have some changes this year. We are no longer here on Sunday evening, and the reason for it is Celebrate Recovery. We're going to put all of our energies and resources to building this network to help us as a church, but to help our community to just touch, because there is a lot of needs, and we want to be there, and, but we need to be trained for, for it. So that's why we're going to start this course. But so for us as a church, though, we're going through this unshakable journey together, and and last, year, last week we talked about, the week before, we talked about uh, where we got that was in Isaiah 28, 16, just the end part of it. It says, the one who believes will be unshakable. So we discovered that unshakable really means a, it's about a belief that is so sound and so, you know, just gripped your heart that it's based on God's, uh, God's steadiness, his trustworthiness, his faithfulness. It's not based on flighty things. It's based on the reality of who God is. And when we have those beliefs, what happens is that it's, it's felt and it cannot be changed despite our circumstances and our trials. So many of us, we go through trials and circumstances, but we're greatly moved. And it really has to go back to how you're believing uh, who God is for you, how God sees you, how you see life. All of these things can be actually renewed and changed by the Word of God and by teaching. So you're here today to find out how would I be able to get an unshakable journey. Another word for unshakable is being immovable. I don't know about you, but I want to be immovable with faced with suffering. Who doesn't suffer here? We all suffer. We live in a world there is a lot of pain, and we all suffer. But many of us were greatly moved. What happens if we want, we're faced with challenges? And, we're, and some of us, you know, we need to become unstoppable. That means that even though we have these challenges, because we know who God is, we become unstoppable. These are all words that are interchanging with unshakable. And so we know that when God, we know the word says that God keeps his promises and he is trustworthy, he is perfect, he's loving, he's merciful, he's faithful, he never lies, he never changes. And because of all that, we truly can walk this life with a sense of confidence and assurance that we will never be alone. But you and I know that we find our securities elsewhere. And that's going to be our catchphrase for 2020 is this, find security in him, in God, and you will never be shaken. This is going to be our goal this year, is to examine where do I find my security. Today, if I do my job well, I'll expose where you run to for your security, because guess what? I'll expose what I run to as well. And so find security in him, and you will never be shaken. Now, the word shaken, what we saw last week or several weeks ago, means to flee. So when you see the word shaken, it means to flee. And when we find our security in God, we will never flee to lesser things, but that's what we do. We flee to things that disappoint us, that disillusion us, things that hurt us in the end. And God wants us to understand that if we run to him for security, provision, and protection, love, and safety, and approval, what we get out of that mix is healing, freedom, whole 
fullness, fulfillment, contentment. And so many of us are so discontent because we do. We go and find our security and love in all truly the wrong places. So when we broke down, so now I've just broke down the word unshakable. Now let me break down the word journey. Very a recap, because if you did not hear the first message, I didn't want you to swim not understanding what I was talking about today. So the word we discovered, journey, is a metaphor for life. Metaphor is a, um, uh, a word a word play. That means that it's, it's, it's a statement that's done and it, you, the scripture uses a word to signify a figure, to signify something. So here the word journey means the Christian life is a journey that takes us from place to place and is based on a purpose. Sometimes we don't even know why we're here. We don't know why things happen. Did you ever ask yourself, why is this happening? So the Bible sets before us two ways to live. The first way is this. The first way is to live a life that is consistent with God's desire and God's instruction. That's why we read the word. How do I get to know who God is? How do I find security in God if I'm not actually reading his word and, or coming to church or being with people who are loving God? And then the Bible mentions another set of people and the way they live. It says that the second is to live a life that is consistent with your own desires and your own instructions. So there's, a, a, there's two Two, two sides of this. Either you're a person who's seeking to get God's perspective when you're faced with un challenges and trials, or you really always go to your own, your own ability to, you know, to instruct yourself to do these things. So the purpose of this journey, really, truly, as I said last week, is not to get to heaven, because if you have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that will be your eternal home. But we know that the objective of walking this walk together, this journey of life, is actually about learning how to love God, how to change the way we do things. You know, I don't know about you, before I came to the Lord, I saw some things and I responded to that thing because I had a worldview before I came to God. The values and the way that I, I, my attitude and values came from what I had learned, the modeling in my home, my family of origin, the things that I read, the things that I watched on TV, the society. And so I came to God with this worldview. But as I became closer and I started reading the Word of God, my view of life started changing. And I started responding differently. We need to actually start living and changing our, our, our view into a perspective for eternity. But how do we do that? Does the scripture really tell us this is what we need to do? Let me show you Matthew 6, 22 to 23. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Again, the word eye ear is a figure of speech. It's a metaphor. Physical vi vision is used here as a metaphor for spiritual vision or perspective. The way we look at life. He makes it clear that our vision is usually faulty when we come to God. He will, uh, he, we need his help to see life through his eyes, and we have to see it differently. So when we have our eyes focused on eternity, when we are through our suffering and our trials, because all of us are through different things, we go through different things, we start seeing how God sees it and what he says in his word, and we, we start responding to it differently. 
So in this scripture, he says, if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. That means your value, your attitudes, your behavior, your convictions will be based on what you know, based on your emotions, your past experience. And let me tell you, they didn't do me good because a whole lot of stuff was based on what I had gone through and the pain that I'd gone through. And I developed this system of belief that tried to actually spare me of these other pains, but it wasn't working because I was always fixated on what I was going through, never fixated on God. So I started realizing there was a different way to live and to live consistently with what God is saying through my pain through my trials, through the suffering that I was going through. So what I started doing is I realized that one thing in particular, I started understanding that I needed to look at my journey differently. So that's why scripture says we have to renew our minds because if we don't renew our minds in the word, then we will always go back to what we know. And so let's look at the journey. This is what goes on here. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of Randy Alcorn. He's uh, an author and he says, live for the line and not the dot. Live for the line, not the dot. Having an eternal perspective while we walk this journey uh, is important because it will keep us from from investing in the wrong things or running with the wrong things. Alcorn also says this, I think of our lives in terms of a dot and a line. You're going to see here a dot and a line, all right? He says here, our present life here on earth is the dot. It begins, it ends, and it's brief. However, from that dot extends a line. For those that are Christians, we have a line that's extended that goes on forever. That line is eternity, which Christians, as followers of Christ, will spend in heaven. Now, right now, we're living in the dot. The question we need to ask ourselves, what are we living for? What are we living for? If you look before the verse that I just gave you in Matthew 6, he tells you Jesus speaks about storing up treasures in heaven and not on earth. He's asking you, what are you living for, Mona? What are you building? What are you investing in? Does it have eternal perspective? Does it have a purpose behind it? And what I saw from that is that there is a perspective that God is trying to teach us, that if we're Christians and children of God, our whole perspective will be living for God, learning how to see him, hear him, speak to him, and walk with him. It's about loving his people, loving his word. It's about the things that we know to be true about him. The church is part of his mission, beloved. I didn't, I didn't create the church. So when we forego church, where's you really saying to God, well, that's just part of your plan that I don't like. And, you know, or if we don't read the word, that's part of your plan I don't like. And so there's something about how we do our walk that we have to understand that most of us, we actually invest in just what we're the here and now, the dot. But as Christians, we have to learn to invest in the line. And so when we actually invest in the purposes of God, choosing his will when faced with hardships, because we know he's just, it, all these things are light and momentary afflictions. When we know that God is in control, we will find our security in him and we will not be shaken in our trials. Now today, we can be very honest with ourselves that we are greatly shaken with the phone rings and tells us we have to pay $900 because the electricity bill went higher. We know that we all have these moments where we're living in the dot, but we have to realize that we don't have to. 
We don't have to make it about just what we're going through every day. We can make it about something bigger. Let me show you what scripture says in 2 Corinthians 4 so that I can prove it to you through the word of God that I'm not making this up, beloved. These troubles and sufferings of ours are, after all, quite small and won't last very long. Yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us forever and ever. So we do not look at what we, what we can see right now. The troubles are all around us. But we look forward to the joys in heaven, which we have not yet seen. And the troubles will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. I've heard this say before about this perspective, these eternal perspective. He says, life is just the preface, not the book. Have you ever bought a book and just read the preface and said, oh, that's it. That's a good book. No. So sometimes we respond to life's dots as the book. No, it's the preface. It's a preparation of getting to understand who God is here on our journey. He wants you to discover his heart, his love, his ways, so because his ways are much better than our ways. His thoughts are much better than our thoughts. But we are so convinced that we don't need the God factor in our journey when really, truly, beloved, that's where all our pain is coming from is that we decide. And so here he says, and then I heard this other saying, so life is not just a preface. It's, it's, it's just a preface, not the book. And then I heard it's, it's the preliminaries, not the main event. It's the tune-up, but not the concert. So we're getting tuned up on this journey, but we have to remember the concert is in heaven, what we're going to experience. So if we look through that grid, when we know, oh, I, God, I'm, I'm going through this and it hurts and it pains. If I focus on the pain, if I focus on the betrayal, if I focus on the disappointment, what usually happens? I build and I lift and I become something, either angry or bitter or lack of hope or in despair or suicidal or whatever. But when we look it through that these light and momentary afflictions, they're just the preface. That means God is able, and if I find security in God in this dot, what's going to happen is my eyes will look to the line. And when I look to the line, that means grace will come in, power, perspective. That means I'll know this is just something that just happened. God is God. God hasn't changed. But so many times we start questioning God. Where are you, God? But this is what, what happens is that we, when we are short-sighted, when short-sighted people live for the dot, is that you can't see anything more than the dot. The person with an eternal perspective lives for the line. That means they understand they're well cared for in this place. People who live for the line know without, without cultivating the relationship with Jesus, it is pretty much impossible to invest in the, wrong, in the right things. When I am not cultivating my relationship with Jesus, what happens is that I'll, I'll actually cultivate something else. And sometimes it's not a good harvest. You get me? I want to find out what is God really saying when I'm going through something. Where am I finding my security when things are happening? Now, 2 Peter 1, 5 and 8 says this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness 
and to goodness, knowledge. And he goes on in, in uh, verse 6 and 7 about a lot of addiction. Uh, uh, um, you add a whole bunch of things to your faith where it makes you complete, mature, lacking nothing. All right? I want to be complete, mature, and lacking nothing on this journey because those things will make me unshakable. And then he says in verse 8, for if you possess these qualities, which I've just read just a bit of them, in increased measure, they will keep you from being what? Ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means that there are times you're, you're told something about Jesus, but because you're not adding to that, because you're not walking for the line, the knowledge just dissipates because you can't grow with just knowledge. You have to actually put it in play. And so here it says, the knowledge changes our perspective from the dot to the line. The more we have an understanding of who God is, what he's done to, uh, for us through his son Jesus, what our identity is now in Christ, what we've received as the benefits of that covenant, which is I have all of the benefits of this glorious inheritance that is mine in Jesus. So in 2020, we will go through a journey together, and we will pursue four pursuits. I love this saying by uh, Jonathan Edwards. He says, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. <laughs> I love it because we really truly have to see God in our situation. If we don't, we will see ourselves, and usually it's our pain that rules and defines who we are. And so he says here, Lord... Uh, stamp eternity in my eyes. So this year, we're going to go through these four pursuits. One is growing in Christ, understanding the work of Christ, becoming like Christ, and living, like, living for Christ. Throughout the whole year, we're going to separate that in different uh, um, uh, months, and we're going to break it down. Today, I want to talk about very briefly growing in Christ. So what is growing in Christ? What does it look like on our journey? How does it affect our perspective? As Christians, born-again believers, followers of Jesus, the most basic discipline that you and I will have to learn on this journey is cultivating and growing in that relationship with Jesus. As we hear him, as he speaks to us, as we worship him, and the end result is that we'll start investing in the right things and ultimately we will live for the line. That should be actually an evidence if you are growing in the Lord. Is, has your perspective in life changed? If it hasn't, beloved, you have to understand that you might be picking up some information, but you're not living it out. And if you don't live it out, then you will always live for the dot and not the line. That means you will always live for the, you, you will think that what you're living is the book, and it isn't. It's just a preface. God has in store for us something so much greater. So when we look at our pain through the grid of his love and what he's done for us, our pain changes. The way we deal with pain, the way we deal with betrayal, with fear and anxiety and all of those things, it changes. When we know that God is who he says he is, it changes. It changes the way we respond and we react to life's journey. It is amazing because in 2 Peter 8, the last verse, I'm not going to read if you go on to the next, the verse that comes on to that one, we just did 8, 
If we have an increasing measure, we become, uh, you know, if we don't have it, we, we are ineffective and unproductive. But then he says, if anyone does not have them, this is, you know, add faith to kindness, to goodness, to self-control, to perseverance. And he goes on and on in verse 6 and 7. He says, if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and what? You see, our sight is important. But when he uses these verses, he's, it's, it's a metaphor for how you're doing life. What you see through, who you go to for your security and safety and your provision. And all of us today, if we're really honest, and I think you're a pretty honest group here today, you're going to realize, you're like, oh my goodness, when I got that phone call yesterday, I went to myself. Oh my goodness, the first thing I went to is, oh, I've got a phone so-and-so. Uh, you know, so we realize that, we need to develop security. We need to develop our knowledge of who he is so that we can actually not be shaken. So what hinders? Now, this is actually the meat of the message. Are you guys ready? Because you and I are going to ask yourself, why is it that I've been in the Lord for 16 years, 20 years, 40 years? My perspective has not changed. It's my way or no other way. Hmm. We're so full of ourselves that sometimes we actually get caught up in our own pain and we live just for the dot. And our life is very ineffective and unproductive. And God has not called you out for nothing. That's what I know. In Ephesians 2.10, he says, you are my workman. You are called out for good works. I want to do good works. And if I'm not doing good works in certain areas in my life, I'm understanding that I'm living for the dot. And I have to go back and say, God, let me cultivate. Let me wait upon you. Let me read your word. Show me. Give me new eyes to see. It is one of my basic prayers every day when I hit pain, when I hit disappointment, when I hit hopelessness, when I hit despair. God, show me your heart. Show me what, what is hindering me here. So what hinders our ability to cultivate and grow in this personal relationship with God? What causes us to consciously or continuously live for the dot and not the line. I think we can learn and find our answers in the whole story of Isaiah 28. Actually, the whole book of Isaiah. It's the story of God's people. And if you've ever read, and I don't have time to break it down, but oh, you've got to understand, God for hundreds of years had laid down a foundation to protect, to provide, to love, to keep his people safe because he had a plan. He had a plan to bring the Messiah through that line. Jesus was coming and he was going to use these people to declare who God was. But the people kept on actually letting go of God, faltering in their faith and going to find their, their security elsewhere and over and over and over again instead of hearing the prophet the messengers that would come and say turn and come back to God they never listened they never listened it's a sad sad story of a people who had everything and lost it all Research says that they lost their faith because they walked away from the word. Do you know in Deuteronomy 7, God proclaims to the people, even before they started their journey, he said, don't ever walk away from the word. Teach them to your children night and day. Bring it back. So one of the biggest things we see over and over again, the leaders, the priests, the kings, they would walk away from the very word of God, the instructions of God, and started building their own ways. And so because of it, they fell in unrelentant idolatry and immorality. And in the end, they lose everything and they go into captivity. 
If you don't know the story, you have to actually read it. It's very sad. If you look at the book of Jeremiah, who is called the weeping prophet, he tried to warn them. Now he tries to warn the next kingdom, and he says, please listen to what God is telling you. If you turn, God will heal you. If you come back, God will keep you, and he will provide for you. He will extend his hand as mercy. But the people stayed rebellious and stubborn. So what is idolatry? Now, I'm not going to preach on idolatry today, but I'm going to touch it because it's going, I'm going somewhere. An idolatry is an idol is anything that prom promises a life of security and joy apart from God. When we begin to value something above God, and it could be good things, beloved. I talked to you about my journey of going back to the gym and listening to what God is asking me to do because I have heart issues. And I realized that I had to actually line some things up. I had to let go and make some decisions in my life. But if I would have made it just about that and forego God, then that good thing would have become an idol for me. I had to give it its right place. If I don't exercise, I, I, I don't die. It's just, I'm understanding it's just part of my journey. It's part of my journey. So, so what, what, is, what he's saying is when we begin to value something above God, to expect that, things, uh, that, that thing to provide us with ultimate satisfaction, and we have begun to make it as an idol. Calvin said this, the heart of man is a perpetual factory of idols. Give us a chance and we'll replace God with any and every object, person, ideal, or dream. God alone this morning is sufficient for you and I, but I can't convince you of this unless you really open your eyes to hear it. He is sufficient for all of your needs. Anything or anyone we have, we, have, we love or give our affections to more than God is called idolatry. If we, everything and anything that we love and give our affections more than God is idolatry. If we place it ahead of God, if we put it in God's place, simple, it's idolatry. That means you have substituted. That means you have found security somewhere else. We know, you and I, that when we do that, we do get greatly disappointed and we get greatly hurt. According to Kyle Eidelman, though, he says, our biggest idol is the idol of self. Us finding security in the, our ways, our thoughts, our strength, and all of that. There's a war that goes on, me versus God. You see, when I'm a child of God, God says that if you come to my son, I will give you a deposit and I will seal you and guarantee you I will bring you back. How does he do that? He does that because he gives me his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit resides in me. He is God. And he said, because of this power, I'm going to give you the ability to choose now today. If you choose your sinful nature, then you are going to actually respond to that. But if you choose to the Spirit, and you do it his way, then you are going to experience freedom. So there's always a war going on, God's way, my way, my way, God's way. We need to be honest. We must admit that we are still giving ourselves permission to be Lord in our lives. However, we cannot have it both ways. There can only be one master. Let me show you why. Luke 16, 13 says this, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other. The other. Do you see the conflict? Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Do you see? He says you cannot serve both God and money. Now, in this situation, the money is not the issue. 
Going to the gym is not the issue. The relationship is not the issue. Idolatry is a heart issue. That means if I put all of my, my, my confidence and my, and my expectation in that person or in that relationship or in this, like if only if I would have this, and I replace my affections with that, then that is going to give me a lot of problems. It's going to cause me a lot of problems. Kyle Eidemann says this, the foundation of reality is that there is, no, there is one God and you're not him. Yeah, I thought some of you would find that funny, but I thought I was God. You know, it is the, cl the classic self-delusion to think that we are in control of anything. The cause of many of our problems is that we don't let God lead in our lives. So when I'm, I'm saying leading is the leadership of the Holy Spirit in us. God, Galatians 5.16 says this, I advise you to obey only the Holy Spirit's instructions. He will tell you where to go and what to do. And when... And then you won't always be doing the wrong things your evil nature wants you to do. You see, we have the sinful nature in us, and we have also the divine nature, which is the Holy Spirit. And now that we're a Christian, we are given a choice now to obey either the divine spirit of God or to keep on obeying these, these nudges of the, of the flesh that always leads us to death. The idol of self is about control, all right? So how do we play God? Are you zooming in? Don't fall asleep. How many fingers do I have? How many fingers do I have? Okay, good. You're not falling asleep. You need to hear this part. I'm excited for you. Are you ready? How do you play God? How do we play God? We try to control our image. We control what other people will think about us. Now, how do we do that? Facebook is really good, by the way. You know, you only show the good things of your life, but you never show anything else. And so we're controlling our image. We fear letting people in. And so we let people in, but we only let them see a little bit of us and whatever. So we're very busy putting the mask and, 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 and the facades because we don't want anybody to discover because we fear being rejected. And so we control the image. We control what people know about us. We try to hide and put up the mask to control these things. The second thing we do is we control other people. Oh, parents try to control kids. Kids try to co control parents. Husbands try to control wives. Wives try to control uh, their husbands. We actually use different methods to do that. We use guilt. Oh, and then we use actually fear and anger and silence. I hear some of you practice these things. Uh-huh. You see, my kids know I'm in trouble when I am silent. Because you know today I'm not also very well in silence. But so when I'm silent, they'll say, Mom, are you okay? And then they'll walk away and give me time. Because you see, now there's a battle going on. My way, God's way. My way, God's way. Do I choose to control this or do I let God control it? Do I find confidence in my own strength or do I, am I going to find confidence in God's strength? So we try to control people around us. We give them little cues about how displeased you are. Have you ever seen it? Huh? The rolling of the eyes, the, mm-hmm, you're getting it, eh? And then we control our problems. There's an attitude behind that. And you want to know the attitude of how we control our problems. We go like this, I can handle it. Oh, it's not that bad. I'm in control of this. I, really, truly, I, I, I got it. I got it. I don't need any help. Really, truly, I don't need any counsel. We'll figure it out. The more you try to fix your own problems, how's it, how does it go for you? 
The more we try to fix our own problems, the worse the problem becomes. So a choice needs to be made. God, me. God, me. But so many of us don't know God because we don't cultivate our relationships. So when we say, well, God, what do you want to do? He says, get in your word. I'll show you what to do. And let me tell you, he delights to speak to you. He wants that intimate relationship with you. But we're so, when he says the idol of self is on the throne is the worst, it is. It is. Then the last thing is that we try to control our pain. I was very good at this. And last year, I, I got delivered from so many things last year because I didn't know that I tried to control my pain. Being in ministry, you have many opportunities to get hurt. And I grew heaps and bounds in ministry. I'm not the same woman I was here 20 years ago. I just know that God uses my, the ministry problems to fashion me. And if I didn't have my eyes on the line, I'd be stuck on the dot and I wouldn't even probably be here today. But we do control our pain, beloved. Have you ever seen how many of us try to avoid our pain? Or we deny it? Or we try to escape it in food or TV or relationship? We reduce and or postpone our pain. We, we, by, by eating and by self-medicating or whatever the case is, we escape it. And so we, 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 we put all of our attention somewhere else and we just don't think about it pain's still there. Do you know that most of us have issues in our life and problems in our life because we have hidden pain, hidden hurt that we don't want to deal with? See, that's what last year was all about for me. And God had drew a line in me because he loves me and I'm his daughter and he's so loving towards me. He said, it is enough. You've hid from the pain of loss long enough. I'm going to teach you how to have an eternal perspective when you lose because you are going to continue to lose things in your life. And you need to learn how to grieve and process it well. If not, from that pain, you will develop patterns, beloved, habits and hang-ups that will destroy your relationship with your husband and your wife and your children and your friends and mainly destroy your ability to walk with God. And so we hide from those things. We go to relationships. We draw from other things. So what is hidden never gets healed. See, that's the point. We have so many hidden things, beloved, and we're wondering, well, I've been in the church for 10 years. How come I'm still struggling with the same thing? Could it be about control? Because last year I had to make a decision that God was bigger and that he was more able than me to care for my pain. Control. While we stay in control of our lives, we will be greatly shaken. We will flee to lesser things to help us deal with our pain. While we play God, we will go to other things to find a sense of security, love, and approval. If you're still not convinced that this is what you're doing, let me show you some symptoms, some evidence that God is not in control. You see, God gives good gifts. God goes after us because he loves us. God delights and sings over us every day. And he comes to get us and he'll be real with us because that's just the God we have. We have a God who cares for his people. But we, when we're in control, we don't let him come. We don't let him bring healing in our lives. And so we, have, we make the pseudo-God. Oh, God is so great, but you're in constant fear. You know, we have this pseudo-image of what God is. Oh, yeah, God is great, but you're in a panic. You walk in anxiety. You have no ability to trust God for your finances, to trust God for your children. And so you push things through. You control people. You control your situation. And all along, God is not in it. 
And then what's worse than all that is we stand up and say, where is God? I thought God was a God of his word. He has been. He gave you a word. Let go. And let me deal with this. Do what I've told you to do, and I will carry you through. I am bigger than you. I had to learn it. So where, here are the evidences. Let me go through this real quick. We're almost finished. Another 40 minutes. Only I wish. <laughs> As you can tell, I love doing this. All right. I don't like putting you misery. No, I don't like doing that. But if misery brings you freedom, ta-da. <laughs> you ready? A evidence that God is not in control is fear. When we have problems and try to play God, we get afraid. That is why so many are not able to develop or their relationship with God. You see, we thought it was something big. We thought that God hated us, that God couldn't love us like so-and-so, and she seems to hate it all. No, no, no. It's because we're playing God. Our fear is actually sends all of our affections to the dot. We don't look up. We actually look for an answer in the here and now. You'll never get it. You'll never get it. And so, so if you have fear, fear always causes you to cloak and pretend. Are you a great pretender? Everything is fine. No, it isn't. We pretend because we fear what people will say of us. We fear the approval of others. We fear that we won't be loved the way we are. But you know what? You already have your approval from God. He already loves you. And there's nothing that you can do or not do that would change that love. That needs to be solidified in your heart today. Because on your journey, you will be greatly shaken if you don't deal with this fear. When we are playing God, we're filled with fear, not with the Spirit. Next one, frustration. If you want to know who's in control, you're dealing with a lot of frustration. When we try to control everything around us, we're frustrated. We're frustrated with our spouses, frustrated with our children, frustrated with the outcome of certain activities. We're frustrated in our experience daily. Because we play God, we will find security elsewhere. And if you're frustrated before you did that, hmm, that frustration will turn into resentment and anger pretty quick. The next thing it brings you to is fatigue. It's tiring trying to play God. Because, you know, we just don't get it. We deny our humanity by refusing to believe that we do control. Our sinful nature wants nothing to do with God. All right? So I can't maintain it. God didn't want me to maintain my sinful nature. He just wanted me to put it to death. That means don't pay any attention to it. You have my divine nature in you, and I want you to actually let him control and so here, fatigue comes in because it takes a lot of energy to keep everything together, to have the house together, to have this together, to have this together. It's tiring. Most people try to run and hide from their pain. They try to hide from, and, and they keep busy. They're forever busy, never being able to stop, never being able to be content in what they're doing. Are you getting this? It drives a deep fatigue in our lives. It becomes a compulsion, always forever doing something, never able to relax. We have millions away to hide our pain. And unfortunately, because we use those millions away, we get extremely fatigued. So if you are in a constant state of fatigue, you need to ask yourself, what pain are you running from? The last one is failure. 
When we try to play God, we will experience failure. And that will lead to helplessness and hopelessness at best. When we try to control our image, the people around us, the circumstances, we will experience fear, frustration, fatigue, and failure. And today is the time to stop. Today is the time to recognize. See, the story of Isaiah in Isaiah 28 is a warning to a people who continuously turned away to God from God and, and refused his path, stubbornly going their own way, and they lost everything because of it. Was that God's plan and will for them? Absolutely not. But because we refuse... If you're not loving God first, we're putting someone or something in his place. And no matter how good that someone or something is, we will eventually or they will eventually let us down. They're not God. They don't have the power. They have to sleep. God tells me every day when I forget in Psalm 121, I don't sleep, Mona. I know you're coming and you're going. I don't slumber. I got your back, but you got to let go and let me deal with this. It is a choice to humble myself. We are not God. We cannot control our past. We cannot control the people nor the circumstances before us in our lives. And we need someone bigger than us. And that's where God comes in. My journey was going from place to place last year. And I came to the same conclusion when God would show me something that I needed to let him be. I needed him to heal me. I needed him to let go. That means I didn't have to fix it. It means I needed to admit I needed God. I needed the people of God. I needed the resources that he's given me. I needed his word. I needed the Holy Spirit. But we're so self-sufficient, are we not? But you know, this is what James 4, 6 says. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Then he says something super great in 10. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. I found myself lifted up over and over and over again when I chose him instead of choosing my way to control the pain. Idolatry leads to spiritual and relational ruin. The cure is to admit we cannot do it on our own. That's a biggie, isn't it? God knew it. He knew it, that we couldn't do it. That's why he sent his word. He sent the Holy Spirit. He sent a body to us. You know, you think you're here for nothing? No, God brought you here because, you see, he knows that you have to make some decisions in the days to come. And he said, let me surround you with people who get the perspective of eternity. Let me surround you with people who focus on the line. They will help you to realign. Beloved, he lovingly gives us everything we need, and we stubbornly refuse those things. You see, when we remain in control, it is our biggest stumbling block to growing in Christ. We must heed the signs, beloved. 2020 will be about us coming to those four pursuits and learning how to have the right perspective and becoming unshakable in our journey. But while we stay in control, I have to tell you that you will flee to lesser things. And those lesser things will never provide what it promises. You will be left unfulfilled and in pain. But I have one who's reaching out to you today. His name is Jesus. 
He didn't die for nothing. He died so that you can live. He died so that you can have faith and freedom and heal. I want to end with this verse today. It's verse 27, 12, and it says, A prudent person foresees the danger ahead and takes precaution. As a church, as your leaders, we're going to set in motion those precautions. We're going to teach you how to walk. We're going to set before you a path and learn how to do this according to the word. But you know what? I can't walk it for you. That will be your part. So a prudent person foresees the danger ahead and takes precautions. But the simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Do you know that I've been here for 21 years and I've seen so many children of God suffer the consequences of not heeding the voice of God? or making it about other ways and other thoughts when God said, that is not my way and I will not bless it. Thank God that he's not a shifting shadow. That means when he says something, therefore it is. If he says, if you follow me, I will heal you. But our inability to let go of control is our biggest issue. Live for the line. This life is only the preface, not the book. It's only the preface, not the book. So where are you finding your security? Where do you run to when pain arises? And you can't tell me there's none. We live in a dying world. Society is ugly right now. People don't care for other people. People are ungrateful and unthankful. People are forgetters and very self-focused. And so because of all that, that's called sin, by the way, many of us will experience pain. Many of us will want to control our environment. Some of us isolate because of that. You know isolation is, is the root of pride. When we choose different ways that don't resemble the word of God, you got to understand, you're not fighting against the leaders in this church or anybody else. You're really actually fighting against God. And what you're telling him is that I'm in control. You're not. You see, God gave us a free will to choose. And that free will, today I choose God. And today, hopefully, in another 10,000 times today, I'll choose him. But there are days I do choose myself. I choose lesser things to put my security in, just to find out God has his open arms to me. He says, come back home, Lona. Come back home. I will give you what you need. I know you fear. I know you're hurting. Let me heal you. Are you hearing me today? Are you hearing his voice? If you've recognized yourself in all of that, the first thing is just to admit that's the cure. Admit I'm powerless to change what I'm going through. And my eyes have been on the dot, and I've been trying to control all of it. I don't want to anymore. I'm too tired. I'm too frustrated. And I've experienced too much failure. So God, here I come. He says, if you humble yourself, I will lift you up. Do you need to be lifted up today? Then as the music plays... Just come and let him lift you up today. He's here for you, not against you. He has a plan and a purpose. You were destined for a lot more than what you're experiencing today. That I know without a shadow of a doubt. You were created for something good, beloved. And God is asking you, can you trust me? Can you trust me? Amen? Come to the Lord today and let him deal 
with all of those issues.